1: and that's why compassion is so important in partnerships in couples because you constantly have to make choices you know are you going to finish that sentence which is going to end in an insult or are you going to just choose to close your mouth and go okay breathe
0: this is not about my partner this is about my stuff i know you are doing the best that you can right now your relationships matter to you you are important and yet over time we get stuck We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair. And being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Hey, podcast listeners, thank you so much for clicking play and joining me this week for this special replay episode. Why a replay episode? Before I tell you the why, I'm going to also tell you where I am sitting right now. I am back sitting in my closet where the podcast all began. This is my basement closet where you're not supposed to be able to hear any extra noises in the background, although you might because we are here going through another stretch of illnesses in our home and the kids are home it is right before March break and we are stretching thin so I just want you to know that As you're clicking play today, wherever you are, if you are in the thick of this season's illnesses, I just want you to know you are completely and absolutely not alone in that journey, and this is also the reason why I have opted to go into the archives and pick out—I mean, that's not really the archives because these episodes are still being downloaded hundreds of times a day— And uh, this episode is just absolutely worth another listen. It is still one that I frequently return to in my mind because it just had so many moments of yes and uh, this is so good. Before I have a chance to reintroduce today's guest, I want to remind you where you can go if you are looking for more help to feel like a team again in your relationship. I developed Be Connected with you in mind. It is my on-demand membership space where women and couples join who are looking to feel like a team with their partner. Remember why they said yes. And also so they can stop having that next conversation devolve into the next game of who's the bad guy and blaming each other. If there's one thing that I know about this season in our life with young children, with the stresses that are piled on top of us, it is that it can be incredibly difficult to get out to therapy. And it can be incredibly hard to have to be on wait lists. And sometimes the finances aren't there, the time to find the babysitter, the time to get out of the house is also not there. So I created Be Connected. With that in mind, there are 12 core lessons where I teach you all of the skills and tools that I teach my clients in my office in terms of helping you improve your communication and feel more connected. On top of the videos and the guides inside the membership space, I hold a monthly Q&A call, and this is one of my favorite parts of the membership. It's my favorite part of the membership because I get a chance to sit with you and answer your question, and it is incredible to see the community that we are building in these Q&A calls where you are feeling supported by the other women in the program and also It's amazing to see the growth that the people are making inside be connected. If you're looking for more information, head to my website, drtracyd.com forward slash join, or you know where to find me on Instagram, drtracyd, send me a DM and let's make sure that it is the right space for you. All right, let me tell you about today's guest. Michaela Thomas is a clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of the private psychology practice, The Thomas Connection. She is most passionate about helping high-striving, busy people, find balance over burnout to live and love in a way which prioritizes connection over perfection. She is on a mission of showing couples how to stay compassionate and connected even when feeling under pressure or overwhelmed using her couple compassion courses or therapy. Her first book, The Lasting Connection, is out and it is a must grab. I highly recommend it. She has so much to offer in it. Let's go into today's episode. Michaela, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today, where we are going to talk about relationships and compassion and how these two things really go hand in hand. But before we get started, can you tell us three things that make you who you are?
1: Sure. Um, I guess part of that is my background, having been born and raised in Sweden and then having moved to the UK about 10 years ago. So being multicultural, um, being far away from family as such. Mm -hmm. And also um, motherhood, the fact that I've got a three and a half year old and I'm married. So that's kind of three things about me that goes beyond the sort of me as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as a professional psychologist.
0: Yes, absolutely. And so tell us a little bit about where you practice. So I've got um, a
1: private practice called the Thomas Connection, which is based in London in the UK, but uh, more and more so now also online because I do online courses, one-to-one coaching and therapy online. And obviously, like most of us do now with the current situations of COVID-19, I've had to kind of adopt and pivot my business more and more online. So launching memberships and courses and and also do a lot of writing. So um, writing on my first book, which is almost finished.
0: Oh, I, and I've been following your journey with writing a book and I am, I, I, am so thrilled for you and I can't wait to read it. So we'll have to, we'll have to share that when it comes out. So let's talk a little bit about what you see happening for couples right now, because we are in this really difficult global crisis and couples are struggling, Yeah, there really
1: are. And I guess that comes back to how individuals are struggling. So there's obviously a strong link between how you are in yourself and your well-being and how well your couple's relationship is. So that correlation goes both directions. So when you are having a hard time, maybe feeling low mood or feeling anxious, uh, there's, there's a higher risk of your relationship also then struggling, being distressed, and vice versa as well, that when your relationship is going through a hard time, maybe you're fighting a lot or you're having disagreements, you're struggling to compromise, there's a high risk that you as an individual uh, is also going to struggle with your mental well-being, maybe being depressed or anxious. So that's the kind of couples therapy I originally trained in is um, uh, behavioural couples therapy, which is sort of evidence-based to treat um, couples where the relationship of stress is linked to depression or anxiety, and seeing that you know there's the a greater chance of recovery and, and remaining well if you address both at the same time. So when you think about that, looking at how anxious people are feeling now because we're in you know a global crisis, it's understandable to be anxious. If then that relationship, that correlation, is still there and, and true, which it is then you're bound to struggle more in your relationship as well. If you are not well, your relationship is more likely to be unwell. So we have Mm. to keep that in mind that that is not meaning that there is anything wrong with your partnership. You may just be under a lot of pressure and stress at the moment, which is going to make your relationship more likely to be under stress and pressure.
0: Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality but the best part is that if you're worried about commitment enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases head over to cozyearth.com and use promo code shrink for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with cozy earth Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using loop engage to help dampen the sound around me, and these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation I still hear Greg I can still hear the kids I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you Times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L O O P X D R T R A C Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, There is no compromise, so we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed, in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com slash I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would to be going to. That's dot slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. I really like how you emphasize that, that oftentimes people will come into my office and say, you know, we're just not meant to be together or we're fighting so much that it's not working. And we know that the work that we do as couples therapists is that there is this um, individual, the intrapersonal work that we do, Mm -hmm. but then there's also working with the dynamic and how that works between two different, often very different people.
1: Absolutely. And I think we have to really keep that in in, you know, put it in a context and contextualizing what's going on for each of you as individuals and what's going on for you and your partnership. So that's how often say that couples therapy or or, you know coaching or couples counseling, whatever you may, you sit with three levels in the room or layers. It's you, the other person and the relationship. So Mm -hmm. that's why sometimes people wonder why is couples therapy longer or why is it more expensive or why do you have to have more sessions? It's because you're working on three levels at the same time. It's almost like three for the price of one. So that's why it's so important that if you do need that support right at the moment to find someone who's highly skilled and able to manage that, there's a lot to juggle in the room at the same time without getting sucked into the vortex
0: of the strong expressed emotion in the room. Mm-hmm. When you say the strong expressed emotion in the room, what what comes to mind? What would be that typical
1: couple in your yeah, office? Yeah, it really, really, they really vary, actually, and I think we often have this image of couples who are struggling in their relationship or in their marriage uh, as a couple that fights a lot all the time, and like that's kind of high levels of expressed emotion. Uh, I call those couples very flammable, so that's kind of a um, a metaphor that I use uh, based on the fire triangle, triangle where you think about fuel heat and oxygen so the fuel is a sense of the shaping of each of you as, a, as an individual what past experiences have you been through that shaped you to be the person you are and that includes things like attachment style What learning history have you had have you grown up in your in your childhood what experiences you've had as a young adult previous relationships everything that makes you you that's the fuel. So that's what you bring into the partnership what's how flammable would that fuel be How dry is it? And then you think about the the heat that you bring into it. So in order for us to spark, you know, to to cause a fire, if you may, that event that is a fire needs all those three things to happen. So then you need that heat. You know, high levels expressed emotion means that maybe someone is very, angry, very irritable, you know, likely to explode, very quick to go into affect, if you may, quick to go into emotion, and hard to maybe come down again, hard to regulate. The last bit is the air that you breathe into the partnership. You know, maybe you breathe in an air of criticism, you know, putting each other down, blaming and shaming, and kind of sense of being hostile, or maybe a lot of, um, uh, yeah, a lot of contempt or criticism. That means that you've already got kind of lightly flammable fuel because you've maybe had a rough time so far leading up to meeting this person in your life and then you have very high levels of expressed emotion and then if you breathe criticism into Mm. that you've got fire on your hands and when we think fire we think oh that's that's nice though like we've got a fiery passionate lovely you know um, couple that's you know Easy to fight, but then easy to make up, if you may. And you might see that they kind of got high levels of everything. So they might fight a lot, but they might also love a lot, you know, be very passionate. But that's a highly flammable couple. And we think, oh, that must be the couple that struggles, the one that just, you know, throws plates or fights and screams or whatever. Actually, we also see a lot of couples that are very low on everything. So they may not fight. They may not raise their voices and they may never disagree. But there's also that sense of, well, the fire has gone out. There's, it's gone really flat. There's not much exchange happening. And I'm always very um, wary of a couple where they say, oh, we haven't fought for years. Really? So which one of you is suppressing how you really feel and what mm. you want in life? Because if you never disagree, then one of you is bound to be self-silencing what you actually need. Uh, and that can lead to a lot of difficulties as well. So no, it's not that just... High levels of heat and expressed emotion is isn't necessarily always bad. It's what you breathe into it. So if you then breathe into, you know, if you have high levels of expressed emotion, like I myself is much more broad in my emotional register than my husband is, and that's something that served me well. I mean, I've built a career around it. I have high levels of sensitivity, but it means that I have peaks and troughs or you know valleys and mountains in my emotional register whereas he's much more even in sort of in in the mid-ranges uh, and that means that I'm much more passionate and uplifted and joyous but also much more angry and irritable and you know quick to slam a door so we it's got pros and cons so there's not like high heat is all bad or all good nothing is all bad or all good it depends on the context that occurs in and then the function of how you behave in that partnership if you then blow in an air of compassion rather than an air of criticism, it makes all the difference between how couples handle their individual differences, things that were no fault of their own. You don't choose your fuel. You don't choose your your heat, the level of expressed emotion you have. You don't choose any of that
0: stuff. But you choose how you breathe into your relationship. That's where you have a choice. I I absolutely love this analogy of the fire and how important this is for us to uh, see what we bring into a relationship and what that looks like for different types of couples. And then also this idea of choice. I'll come back to the choosing in a second, because I think this is going to be really at the heart of our conversation around compassion today. But um, I, I can absolutely relate to you about Uh, having more of the peaks and values, you know, also being in this profession um, and experiencing and expressing my emotions is a huge strength. Mm -hmm. And and Michaela, I also often say to couples that it is the part that I, I get concerned about when they tell me that they're not fighting. Mm -hmm. And that tells me that they are a more shut down and withdrawn couple. Uh, And we know that what that risk is for them is the building of resentment and the anger that's underneath, right? When we're sweeping things under the rug, how do we Mm -hmm. walk on a bumpy rug?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, those are the things that the unsaid things can be
0: more dangerous than things that are spoken right right so so then let's go into this choosing what what are some of the choosing aspects that we need to be doing so we can't control the fuel those are our past experiences we've already had that laid our foundation for us the heat Mm -hmm. then is how we deal with our emotions what what are some of the choices that we need to be making well
1: that's where I think accountability is a key word so it's really important, important to acknowledge that dealing with your emotions, dealing with your past, takes a lot of ownership. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I start my book, The, the Lasting Connection, by thinking about an experience I had um, over a year ago when I went to a compassion retreat in Thailand, um, which is one of the many things I have to do to manage my own emotions and to, to be able to do this profession that I'm in. So I was on my way there. I was jet-lagged, obviously, traveling to Thailand, and I was speaking to a fellow psychologist who was really curious, wanting to hear more about my experience of couples because she was working with individuals. And after a long discussion, I was about to fall asleep and she asked me to sort of sum up, you know, but, so, so what's the gist of it all? You know, what's the what's the answer? What's the the magic thing about love? And I, at that point, having enjoyed the conversation for sure, but I was getting really tired. I was like, just outcomes through my mouth, outcomes Basically, if you can own your own shit and tolerate your partner's shit, you've got a pretty good start. <laughs> and obviously, having tried to make that slightly more eloquent in the book now, I've thought about it long and hard. And I think that is it that there's so much we've experienced in our life that is not our fault. But we still have the accountability, the ownership of dealing with that so that it doesn't become the predictor of our present and our future. That's where you have a choice where you can choose to deal with what has been so you get a better future for for yourself and for your partner.
0: I and often have, sorry, I often have a cu- couples where one partner will say, well, if they're triggered by what I say, then that's their issue. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's this blaming or not taking responsibility for the impact yeah. that they have on their partner absolutely
1: and then I would just ask ever so slightly flippantly at at this point obviously when you get into the meaty bits you you usually have a good foundation of trust established you usually have a a bond between yourself and the couple so I would just ask them okay uh uh-huh how's that working out for you Mm -hmm. you know what what's what does that lead to if you think well that's your issue that's got nothing to do with me that's you being reactive or it's just your own stuff okay yeah how has those conversations ended up for you? Has it ever led to the things that you want? And that comes back to choice again, choosing to act in line with what's important to you, what matters to you, taking you further towards the kind of values-based life that you want. You know, if you, I often work with values with couples where we kind of discuss what is important to you, you know, and especially couples that are parents. I would often think, in a way that becomes even less, you know, less blaming is to think, well, what values do you want your children to grow up with? You know, what do you want to teach them? What lessons would you want to leave behind with them as a legacy? You know, often stuff comes out like, I just want them to be kind. I want them to be, you know, um, respectful of others and, you know, be able to be confident, you know things like that loving caring you know very few people say you know I just want them to grow up to to act like assholes to other people that doesn't come out of people's mouths and that's where we then can begin that if that's how you want your children to grow up how are you going to model that how are you going to show them that this is how we behave to those we love if you act nothing like the value you want them to grow up with Mm. and often that really hits home you know actually I need to start to show them not just with my words but with my actions the choices I make and that might be showing them not just the argument because like we both established already you know actually not non-argumentative couples aren't necessarily healthy but showing them you know there's a repair to this rupture Mm -hmm. I can say I'm really sorry I I I am just really grumpy today I haven't slept properly and you know out came something that wasn't at all what I wanted to say you know what I actually meant was this and you show your children the the end to the argument which is a repair working on forgiveness learning from what's happened kind of more thinking of a a growth mindset if you may that actually mistakes are likely to happen and what do we learn from them so that we can grow and make better choices next time that's going to help their kids to navigate conflict never showing them conflict uh, uh, or showing them conflict and never looking at the, never modeling the resolution that is going to take them further away from living in life that's worth living.
0: I often ask my clients, uh, two, two questions. One is what did you learn about relationships watching your parents? Yeah. And the other one is, um, what did you learn about emotions watching your parents? Oh, yeah. And, and these, these are such important questions, especially because we know often that when we ask the question, tell me about your childhood, um, people and perhaps some people who are higher on avoidance um, or shutting down their own needs mm-hmm. along with that avoidant attachment will say, it was good. Yeah, everything was good. And as you start to ask more questions, you can start to see that they didn't see their parents touching physically holding hands they didn't see their parents working through conflict and that this can be um harmful to mm-hmm. to us to know then here we are in this relationship showing up how do we do this this is hard yeah. we don't we don't we don't have models and that repair is so important it's funny my five-year-old is now saying mommy speak nicely <laughs> <laughs> or, or he'll you know pop out of the this the, the carrier that will push both of them in and he'll say mommy and daddy speak nicely to each other and sometimes we're just talking heatedly about a conversation and it's not that we're criticizing each other but other times it is that reminder of hey buddy thank you thank you for reminding me you're right I do need to speak kindly to daddy and and let me you know and repair that and show him how I can do that differently
1: yeah. And that's, that's your barometer that That shows you when you've started to veer away from that way of living life, which is harder, you know, for sure. It's, it takes a lot more effort to, to choose to walk in line with your values than it is to just be on autopilot and just do whatever comes out or say whatever comes out of your mouth and do whatever comes as an urge in your mind. It takes a lot of effort to st- stop for a second and say, well, what what's this? What am I actually reacting to? Am I reacting reacting to the here and now, to this present conversation, or is it something else from the past that's kind of coming in, like you know, like a ghost in the machine that's rearing its ugly head? And it's it's important to acknowledge that you know uh, I'm really sorry. That's it. I wasn't reacting to you. It's just you know, in my previous relationship, I was often. Made to feel that my opinion didn't matter. So now when we were arguing, I start thinking, I need to defend myself and I need to prove a point, otherwise I might be belittled like I was before. You know, that's where we're then coming back to owning our own shit and, and being communicative about what we've been through before. So many couples are, are fearful of talking about their past, thinking, oh, I shouldn't talk about past relationships, because then they think maybe I'm still in love with that person and it's not about that. It's about sharing the fuel, sharing the shaping of you, what's happened in past relationships, what lessons did that teach you and what uh, vulnerability does that give you? What are you going to be on the lookout for? Because the brain operates on a better, safe than sorry basis. We, we've seen that now in COVID-19 for sure. We're all mm. really on the lookout, quite hyper vigilant for danger, especially the way our minds are being primed at the moment with, you know, control the virus, stay safe and all that. So, that's what the brain does it's kind of just operate on that basis of oh I'm going to be on the lookout for danger so I do not get hurt again and that's where that flammability comes into mm-hmm. like we have a constant threat mind that's looking out for threat and then when you know like you're mentioning with shutdown it's a response that's selected for us not by us I'm not, I'm not choosing actively to shut down or freeze or not respond you know we can often see that with one partner kind of just going into sort of stonewalling or not saying anything because on the inside if we would measure the levels of stress hormone like cortisol and adrenaline in their blood at that moment it'd be sky high they're overwhelmed by emotion but on the surface level you see nothing you see well why aren't you saying anything do something are you feeling anything but they're feeling so much that they can't react at all and they're going to shut down mm-hmm. and that's the thing that i really work with with um Building compassion for each of the partners, so building compassion for for yourself as well as for your partner. Understanding their threat, what triggers them, and what triggers you, and knowing that they are definitely not necessarily the same things. So, it comes back to the sense of well, if it's your issue, you know, you're triggered by this, and I'm not, so that's your stuff. And you know, it's not about blaming each other; it's helping each other to so gently choose wisely and gently take accountability for those triggers. But well, you're not going to achieve that through blaming and shaming each other. That's mm-hmm. not the environment. That's not the climate we want to build in the relationship. We want to build a bit of compassionate climate.
0: I often tell couples that we our, our job is to co-create our experience, that neither one of you are right or wrong. There is mm-hmm. no right or wrong here, but it's about co-creating and working together as this united front. T- tell me more about this compassion piece. Because mm-hmm. I know that oftentimes when we start talking about compassion, the response I often hear is, well, no compassion. That will just make me weak or how will I get anything done? And I think this is such a powerful concept, but I know many people have a hard time understanding it.
1: And that's where we also start. That's the very first thing I do with couples or when I work with individuals, um, I often work with sort of high-striving women who are very hard on themselves and might have that background where they always had to be doing things to feel good enough and you know their self-worth is very hinged upon achievement so they really struggle to be kind and compassionate to themselves because it feels like it's self-indulgent so that's where we go first it's just thinking about you know what, what do you think compassion is and often you know a couple of good words come out or positive words if you may, thinking okay maybe that's about caring or understanding or empathy or being able to look after each other or nurturing but very quickly you know outcomes the negatives as well and that's where we look at our blocks and fears and resistances to compassion and often we things like oh maybe it's it's going to be a bit fluffy or it's one of those things that other people can do for themselves but not me because it's, you know, then I would be selfish, self-indulgent. Maybe it's pitying people, letting them off the hook. Um, those kind of um, things often come up that it's I'm feeling sorry for myself. And, yeah, you're right, it's that triggers thoughts and, and feelings around it where people often then aren't so kind to themselves because they feel that maybe, you know, if I did that I I wouldn't be able to achieve things anymore uh, or other people might walk all over me I might be a doormat so we have to really understand that there are th- there are three parts to compassion and and weakness is definitely not one of them you know we, the first bit is is caring having a caring commitment towards others and that's the bit that often is associated with compassion but yeah it's just about you know being benevolent and and looking after others but then often people don't take into account that there's two more, um, legs to the stool of compassion, if you may. And the second part is, uh, having clarity, you know, having wisdom about how you work, how your partner works, how the world works and what we all need and how, how we all work as as human beings with really tricky, weird brains. Um, and if we don't have that clarity, how are we going to know what, what is needed of us? How are we going to know when to show up with compassion for ourselves or others, and the last part is, um, the last stool um, or leg to the stool is courage. So compassion is not a weak choice. It's a very strong choice. Because often means you have to make hard choices. And you might mean you have to set a boundary or say no or, or allow yourself to forgive someone who has hurt you. A lot of those things takes a lot of strength uh, and groundedness. So it's everything but a weak choice. Because it means you have to really take a good look at yourself and your actions and their consequences and do so with with accountability. So we have to think about how, you know, it's not sustainable for us to be compassionate if we don't have all three legs to the stool because then it will be wonky and wobbly and if you sit on it, it will break. So that's why it's really important to think compassion isn't just about giving to others, it's also about giving to yourself and topping yourself up and having that wisdom and courage to say no, when it's not serving you, if that makes sense. Absolutely.
0: And it's the sense of, it's hard to have true compassion for others. I think this is something Kristen Neff talks about Mm -hmm. in her self-compassion research. She says, if it's, you you can't have true compassion for others, if you can't have compassion for yourself. So if I can't sit here and say, "I, I can accept my mistakes, I can be kind to myself even when I make the mistake of having an argument in front of my child. How can you then have that towards someone else?
1: Mm. Uh, it's so interesting though, because we've got some really interesting research for around that of how you know, especially like healthcare professionals can continue to give, can continue to be compassionate to others, even when they're not to themselves. We have to really understand the three flows of compassion then that, you know, we have a flow from ourselves out to others, you know, so from me to my husband, for instance, and then the flow from others to ourselves, our, our capacity and ability to receive kindness streaming in. So from my husband to myself, and the last one is from myself to myself, so the, the research that Kristen Neff does. And these three flows is something the, um, that Paul Gilbert, the founder of Compassion-Focused Therapy, uh, has done a lot of research on, and, and seeing really how that block of, of compassion from others to ourselves can be really, really detrimental in relationships. So that might look like, I don't know how to ask for help or I don't see when help is offered, or I don't appreciate it, I don't accept it, I don't let it in. And that can be really difficult because then we're not being topped up ourselves. We might burn out, uh, we might be depleted, and then it's really, really hard to give. We can see that in, like I said, by healthcare professionals who still feel they have a duty and an obligation to give to others, but they're doing so at their own detriment. So yes, you can continue to be, compassionate to others but it's very very hard and it costs you an arm and a leg and that's Mm -hmm. what I often see in the sort of very perfectionistic clients I work with who can be very kind to others but really struggle to be kind to themselves and that Mm -hmm. really has a hugely detrimental impact on your relationships because although you might have the values uh, of of loving caring kindness you will struggle to consistently show up in line with those values because you've got nothing left to give
0: the, f- the group that comes to mind uh, is the big group of my listeners, which is mm-hmm. not just women, but mothers. Yes, definitely. W- w- where do you think mothers get stuck here? Well, I mean, oh gosh, this is so
1: big. And this is sort of my feeling, <laughs> like my, my passion creeping up, you know, <laughs> patriarchy and the mental load. And yeah, it's I'm, I'm, I definitely think that it's bigger than just the individual there. We have to really think about how these flows of compassion are uh, allowed to show themselves in the context we're in as well. You know, definitely when when we think think about uh, heterosexual couples where there's, uh, you know, a man and a woman, um, that the mental load means that there's a higher likelihood that the woman is taking more of the childcare responsibilities and there might be that she's more touched out, uh, maybe looking after young children, you know, and there's this, uh, a depth of this, that's obviously beyond this, the length of our podcast for sure, but it's, you know, how maybe breastfeeding or taking a lot of nights, it is so easy to then feel that there's a lot of high expressed emotion without much repair. You know, there's, I feel aggrieved, I feel resentful, or this is unfair. And sometimes we have to think about how much is that to do with the couple's dynamic you know you and me here and how much of that is to do with the wider societal context that this is occurring in we have to be careful to not put the blame on the on the couple itself when a lot of that disconnection is happening in a wider societal disconnection of of lack of equality um you think about um like Eve Rodsky's book fair play there's there's a lot there that we have to think that this is not just about the mother who then needs to speak more kindly to her her husband uh when actually there's maybe very fair reasons to why she's aggrieved and angry if if that makes sense so i don't want to go too deep into this because it's it's one of my sort of favorite passions and it's the stuff that I'm planning on and putting in my second book uh which will be Mm. about pressures that are put put on women and especially mothers and then especially working mothers so you, you add a level of of pressure for each layer if you say see what I mean and it's it's hard it's hard to flow out with compassion when you feel hard done by by the system
0: I like that you are emphasizing the wider societal context that we exist in, because whenever I post about the mental load and about women um, sharing and asking for their needs with their partner, the response often is, but my partner should just know. Yeah. And that that really takes it out of the individual and the couple dynamic. It it puts it more into the wider societal context. In the sense mm-hmm. that our partners don't know because of how, um, you know, again, heterosexual couples because how men are raised, because yeah. how society teaches them what it means to be a man. I mean. I've got this book from it's uh, a a Richard Scarry. I don't know if you're familiar with the the author, but he's yeah. he, he, the, I can't remember the date of this book. It's an old print. I found it um at a, a flea market or a garage sale. And it it actually says a child asks the do- the male doctor, "Will you help Mrs. Doctor Doctor when the baby comes?" And every time I read this page, I <laughs> the page actually says something like um he'll help out when he can, but it's pretty, he's pretty busy with his work. And so I always change it to, he will do his, he will do just as much as mom does or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so the, the, the bigger context is really important and taking that blame out of our partners, because if we're getting stuck in that blame, then mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to move forward through this. Okay. So I won't take you off onto that side rail. Cause I think we could definitely have a conversation about that, but what, Michaela, tell me a little bit about how um, compassion can show up in our relationships. Like, how could it help us? And what kind of choices could we be making? absolutely I think I'm going to just strip it back a little bit further as well just thinking about how
1: do we define compassion because Mm -hmm. there might be listeners here who kind of thinking well what is compassion is that sort of a nice to have is that meaning just being a bit kind and compassion is not the same as kindness kindness is obviously key it's a very important value that we have and there's hugely important kindness movements happening all over um, which I very much endorse but it's not it's beyond uh, just kindness and it's because it's it's about the um having the courage to to face hard things within yourself as well it's a so so the very sort of quite academic definition of compassion which i'm going to give sort of a an easier um easier explanation around as well is that compassion is a sensitivity to the suffering of yourself and others with a commitment to alleviate it and prevent its return so what that means mm. in plain english is that you know, given everything I know about myself, doesn't it make sense that I would struggle with this? Or given everything I know about my partner, doesn't it make sense that they would struggle with this, that they would feel this way right now? So stepping into their shoes, using empathy and being mindful and aware of, of their experiences, of our own experiences. And then the second part of that is essentially just giving a damn about what you find, you know, being moved by the distress, being moved by the suffering in someone else and in yourself, like, gosh, this is so hard right now what the commitment part is is that coming back to that choice and how can I make a hard choice to to be helpful rather than harmful to myself or to my partner and that's why compassion is so important in partnerships and couples because you constantly have to make choices you know are you going to finish that sentence which is going to end in an insult or are you going to just choose to close your mouth and go okay, breathe. This is not about my partner. This is about my stuff. And you know what? Well, that makes sense. It makes sense that I'm really angry right now when this has happened, but what can I do right now to be helpful? What can I do right now to be, you know, preventing further harm? So that's why I think compassion is, is very, very important because it helps us to, to make the best choice in a bad situation not the perfect choice sometimes you have to choose between a rock and a hard place compassion gives you that much extra space to just slow down and reflect on how can i respond rather than just react so that's where compassion is based on on mindfulness, which a lot of the listeners probably do know what it means, but we often think that it's sort of a, a nice to have kind of lovely uh, way of relaxing or getting a bit of rest. Um, and that's why a lot of my uh, clients struggle with the concept of mindfulness because they don't feel relaxed by it. Mm-hmm. They've like, you know, got really busy minds, they're wondering and they're thinking, why can't I slow down? I'm sitting here, I can't switch off. And instead my mind is bouncing around everywhere and that's essentially what mindfulness is. It's just a capacity to notice when your mind has wandered off and then gently, without any blaming or shaming, you steer it back. So when you're in conversation with your partner and you're noticing your fists tightening because you're kind of feeling really angry, noticing what's going on in your body, i here hear my temperature is going up, it's rising and I'm about to explode. That's mindfulness as so you're noticing what's happening for you in this very moment. And the compassion part is then how do you choose wisely? You know, what do you react on and what do you let go? that's the bit that can give you a sense of release and and freedom that I don't have to be defined by my reactions they're not chosen by me they've been laid down over decades at this point most of us are when we come into our significant relationships we've been existing for 20 30 years for most of us so that's a lot of shaping of you you can choose to let go of that so you don't have to be at the mercy of these experiences
0: anymore I'm like I'm I'm like yes I'm just nodding along because I'm like yes absolutely i have to cut this out but I'm just like I'm just in awe listening to you Michaela
1: <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear that um, do let me know
0: if I go off on one and uh, no one no away? it's beautiful everything you have been saying it just so resonates with me with where I'm at with my own journey with the conversations I've been having with so many other people where you know the this idea of pausing and noticing, and instead of being so reactive, right? Like mm-hmm. we we're just so reactive in our worlds, and, and rightfully so. We have to be sometimes. We have to be Absolutely. quick. Um, but but in our most important relationship, to just slow down and to choose, and to choose from this understanding. Mm-hmm. Of ourself and of the other person in front of us. You know, one of the things that I'm always so amazed about is how we will speak to our partners versus the difference of how we will speak to a friend.
1: Mm, or even a stranger. Or or a we stranger. kind of we might even sort of keep up with the appearances with someone who who we don't even know. And then we might come home and let it all out. So mm. I think there's a caveat there that much like any parent who's had a child in in child care or, uh, or school might know that they may hear that their kid is behaving well in school and following all the rules and they come out they come home and just let it rip you know if, I don't mm. know if you've ever experienced that after a long oh, day yes. the child up and you're like what on earth is going on and there's this <laughs> angel baby at child care and they come home and they're just a demon comes out and you're like they've just gone feral and that comes back to understanding with compassion that's the kind of the clarity bit the wisdom bit of understanding that this is what happens to human beings children or adults is that when we feel safe we can express everything we can let all of it out and that's you know the good the bad and everything in between whereas in a place where we feel we have to conform and fit in and hustle for approval we will not let everything out so that's not any sort of um reflection on on how your partner feels about you other than the fact that they feel safe and they love you now we have to balance that of course we cannot come home and treat our partner in a shitty way just because we think I feel safe with you I'm just going to rant and and, you know you wouldn't believe what I said at work today and blah 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 and then you created an atmosphere uh, you know a climate which is just about hostility and anger and release it's not about emotionally dumping on your partner but it's it's acknowledging that you know I feel safe enough to express what's on my mind with you and knowing that you're going to still be here much Mm -hmm. like that parent is still going to be there for that child we might get annoyed and angry with them but the repair always comes that's why it's so important to understand that, you know, compassionate love and compassionate communication isn't about always having nicey-nice and always being your best self. It's about being allowing yourself to love the other self as well. You know, I call that the, the goblin. You know, imagine you're coming home and your partner is a little bit late and you're sitting there like an argumentative goblin ready to strike. <laughs> that is not the best you that's not you you on your really good day your compassionate self that is you and your shitty day uh you know some within compassion we think of that as your dark side uh that's sort of based on Jungian psychology of mm-hmm. there are sides to you that you do not like and there are sides to your partner that you do not like so that that dark side of the moon is still part of your partner part of you we have to have compassion for our dark sides as well otherwise we would always be under this pressure to be perfect to never let negative emotions out never lose our shit um if you may Mm -hmm. that's not gonna work we need to show ourselves loving kindness and acceptance of all the parts of us even the bits we don't like and that's again where that repairing of that rupture comes in that you do not have to get it right a hundred percent of the time in your partnership or in your parenting it's around 30% of the time you'll get it right. You'll be walking right in line with those values, being loving and caring, supporting your partner when they've had a hard day at work. And about 30% of the time, you will go, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, and and be distracted and think that you've listened, but you haven't really. (laughs) And 30% of the time, and this obviously does not add up to 100%, do not worry, this is not a mathematical equation, but about 30% of the time or a third of the time, you will be spending repairing it owning your mistakes saying i'm really sorry i switched off a little bit can you say that again Uh, and getting that forgiveness getting the understanding and that's okay when you've built a good foundation Mm -hmm. you've built a connection a lasting connection is built you don't find that by finding the perfect partner it's something you build and you build in time and time again by making those wise choices by tending to your relationship garden if you may you know choosing to roll up your sleeves and pull the weeds out occasionally and saying you look we, we've, we've really disconnected a, a, over the last few months or you know is, we've been drifting a bit what can we do to to get closer again you know i miss you i feel we we need to do something and i would like to spend some time thinking about how we can reconnect that is you pulling some weeds out
0: mm-hmm. does that make sense Absolutely. And I'm just thinking one of the biggest lessons I've learned in my own relationship is just to not try to be perfect because I'm mm-hmm. not going to be perfect. And I have so many demands. I mean, we all have so many demands um, and experiences. You know, you think of our, like you had said, our past fuel that comes in and also mm-hmm. how we react to the context that we're living in. And I think letting go of the need to be right has been really big for me, but then also quickly being able to repair. I give myself that permission to struggle and to be angry sometimes and to be frustrated with what's happening, whether it's within myself or between my partner and I, but then also coming back to it and not letting it. And and I used to do that early on because I kept trying to be the perfect partner and to not have, you know, whatever that looked like, to not have to be upset about something or to have a need not fulfilled. But now it's more about going back and saying, hey, you know, I was short there and I'm really struggling with this and I see what's going on for me and, and I'm also really sorry that I showed up that way.
1: And mm. I think that's the, the important thing that actually the imperfection, embracing those imperfections, in actual fact, will make you more likable. You know, we know that from research that if you, um, you know, having conversations with someone who's aiming for perfection in that conversation, trying to p- portray the perfect facade and like being being everything that they want to be, what happens in those conversations is that that is not genuine, it's not authentic because they are so self-focused on trying to perceive or give this sort of perfect perception that they don't listen to the other par- partner in that conversation. Mm. So it doesn't mean romantic partners, but if we look at how favorably we are rated by a stranger in conversation, that those who aim for perfection are rated as less favorably than those who go for good enough. And I think that's really powerful that you know you're actually more likable when you don't try so hard to be likable, when you don't try so hard and hustle for approval, but rather than allowing yourself to show up as, as you are, you know, warts and all, and then tolerating that you won't belong with everyone, but you will find someone to belong with. And then there will be, there will be less hustle around it. And I think that's very important when we enter um, partnerships, when we look for a partner. You know, I don't just support people, who, you know, who are having struggles in their marriage or in their relationship. I help support individuals who are looking for love and often by setting realistic expectations of what is it that you're looking for and how will you know when you found it and how will you make sure that you don't just run away from it because it doesn't meet that unrealistic expectation that rom-coms or poetry or love songs have painted. And, you Mm -hmm. know, in the modern society where we're all really busy, we sort of think that the partner is going to just slot into the life we have without any without any compromises or without giving up on a thing that we want. And that's not going to work because so you will never find someone who's exactly like you. And frankly, wouldn't that be horrible to date yourself? So, <laughs> but I think your, your lesson there of, you know, working on, on trying not to be right, I think Esther Perel says that really powerfully of, you know, you can be right or you can be married.
0: Yes. You,
1: know, you can remain in this partnership or you can prove your point to the point where you've lost what really mattered to you. So that's kind of coming back to choosing your battles and making wise choices of so when do I when do I drive home this point uh, and when do I think that actually the relationship
0: is more important to me than winning this point. So how do we then show up in our relationships using compassion in the ways we communicate? what what, what would what could we help because I I know you and I are talking about this at at a higher level but let's break this down for what could the listener start to do in their relationships
1: I think the biggest thing is to start with you understanding through that through no fault of your own there will be things that trigger you so start with yourself and understand that if you change you, you will change your relationship. It's not about getting your partner to realize all their faults and shortcomings and, you know, he does this or she doesn't do that. It's about what what do I do too much of? What do I not do enough of? And what do I do well? You know, relationships, it's not about winning a war. It's about living a life, isn't it? So we want to really make sure that we can look at those things of, in behavioral terms, what am I doing too much of? You know, maybe I'm picking fights too much or I'm starting conversations when I'm actually really tired or I'm not thinking before I'm acting. Okay, so that's maybe something I can take ownership of. I'm doing too much of that. Or maybe I'm interrupting too much. Something I could do is to try to pause and breathe slowly and like let the seconds tick past mm. listening you know but that's something I concretely can do so I can maybe try to focus my attention on my partner what are they actually really saying before I jump in you know sitting on your hands if you may maybe you're not doing enough of you know giving your partner appreciation or saying thanks for things that they do for you because you think well then they must know that I I appreciate that but well, most of us don't most of us need to have it spelt out say I really appreciate it when you Uh, when you let me um, have a lion this morning, I was so shattered after having been up in the night. I really appreciate that you took the kids downstairs so I could get another hour of sleep. That's all it takes. I mean, that took me, what, 10 seconds? And -hmm. that has then reinforced and strengthened that partner's response of giving you the lion, making it more likely to happen next time.
0: There's this element here that we know that for every one negative statement, which sticks on us like Velcro, we need five positive statements, which we know that from the research from Gottman. And we know that the positive statements are like Teflon. It just slides off. And so we do need to be aware of, you know, shoring up our partners, letting them know that we see them and we appreciate them and we value their presence in our life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's where we come back to that sense of accepting compassion flowing in that I've seen in, certainly in the, the partnerships I've guided, a lot of partners struggle to accept the appreciation. So it's not as easy as just doing a gratitude journal. You have to really check in with your partner. Is that, like, are they receiving this? Because that sense of Velcro and Teflon, I think Rick, Rick Hansen talks beautifully about that as well, of how, you know, actually the positivity can really sort of slide off us um, like like teflon so we have uh-huh. to really, really make sure that we allow it to stick around in this in the frying pan for a bit you know actually can we stick it to the nonstick by saying you know what actually can you just i just want to say it one more time i, I know you've heard it but i just want to really say it that, that you, so that you understand how much i appreciated that you gave me some time to myself this weekend It really meant the world to me so coming to those softer emotions underneath of showing your appreciation, not just saying, thank you, that was nice, but connecting it to your emotional experience. So that's, again, coming back to the ownership of you. You know, I appreciated this because it made me feel valued and it made me feel more relaxed. So I'm feeling more like, you know, keen towards having a nice dinner with you this evening because you gave me lots of time to rest and recover. And the thing about compassionate communication is that it sounds really weird and clunky when you first learn to do it. Because again, through no fault of your own, you've been shaped by society and how to have conversations and we watch that on TV, and it's not actually that helpful. Mm-hmm. Because it's about making it quick. Fast, 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 quick, quick, quick. And that is what happens when we don't allow the time for the grade scale and how you say it, not just what you say, but also checking in with yourself of your tone of voice. Um, you know, your posture, how you're standing, how are you speaking, what's your facial expression looking like. Um, All of those non-verbal things really matter as much as what you say. Because if you're saying, I really appreciate that you unloaded the dishwasher, wouldn't you? Of course, I appreciate that. What your partner is going to take away is the threat in your voice and it's going to get their threat system going as well. They're going to just hear the non-verbal cues behind that or if you're rolling your eyes as as at the same time as you're saying great you took the kids out this morning lovely um (laughs) you know it's like oh that's lovely and passive aggressive isn't it (laughs) so we have to just think about how you say things as well and putting yourself in your partner's shoes to to reduce that threat through validation and appreciation and bringing you closer together through that so Compassion
0: communication. I, I want to emphasize this point right here because I can. I'm thinking of some of the couples I've worked with and where the the sticking point was. And you've already said it that we need to do the individual and our internal work. Um, but some of that sometimes that sticking point is. A couple like a female partner will say you want me to give you gold stars you want me to shore you up when i already do all this stuff and and this is the internal stuff of you know this is what i teach women in my membership that we have to be able, be willing to change for ourselves because it will feel different mm-hmm. for us that then it will impact our relationship then we know from systems theory that as one person changes the other person will change in response to that so if we start to give of our partners these pieces, they will also respond differently to that.
1: Absolutely. And that's, that's the thing about putting it in that context that, yes, in the ideal world, your, uh, your male partner, if you were in a hetero couple would know what you're thinking, what you're feeling and what you want. But so many women also haven't learned to express to themselves what they're mm-hmm. thinking, feeling and what they want. So how on earth is their partner going to do that mind reading where they can figure out and be a step ahead of you of what you want and need? It's just not possible. So we have to think about compassion again, and girls in that context of, you know it's not my fault uh, that i've been raised this way but i can take ownership and accountability of what i do i do to to change that you know to change the dialogue and that can be it can be really difficult to do and this is why compassion is not a weak fluffy choice it's it's a courageous one to keep showing up and keep having that conversations and understand when you get caught up in in the patriarchy it's of getting caught up in gender roles it's not your fault it's bigger than you uh-huh. but it's your your responsibility to take ownership of it and you know we want to make male partners are our allies we don't want to alienate them and say men should just know well actually no let's start the conversation and say this is what happens for me this is how I feel It's something small like I had a conversation with my husband and said please don't put these glasses on the top shelf because I can't reach them and it makes me sad and small when I have to take out the stepladder to get something that you can just reach because the world isn't built for me Mm -hmm. well it's built for you and I'm I'm a small petite woman as well so it's especially not built for me Mm -hmm. and it's stuff like that that you think that doesn't matter it's just glasses on a shelf but if we don't address that that builds to resentment and just saying you know actually I, I need this and now those glasses are not on the top shelf anymore.
0: <laughs> and, and, I chose wisely. And, I chose a good husband. <laughs> and, and and because you gave it context, it wasn't just don't put them up there. You, you yeah. let him know what your internal experience is yeah. when the glasses are up there. And that that's why, you know, we often say it's not about the dishes. It's not about the socks left on the floor. Yeah, I love that. In, love that poster you do about it's not about the socks. It's a great yeah. one. Yeah, it's, it's the stuff that's underneath that. Mm. It, it triggers inside. Of us, which is like the whole suitcase we bring into the world, right? So, what our messages are about ourselves, about other yeah. people, and our past experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And it's,
1: it takes a lot of um, kindness and compassion to be able to say that in a way that your partner can hear. It's about then kind of turning down the heat on that, turning down the volume on the radio. And no, it's not necessarily fair that we should have to do that. They should just get it. But you know what? Actually, you want to you want to catch more flies with honey right you want to just do what's going to work so i often mm-hmm. talk about workability with couples so you know how are you going to get your message across and often it's you know if you just express that with anger hostility and like swearing and saying don't put the flipping glass on the top shelf blah blah, blah they're less likely to do it because that gets their thrift threat system up so it's mm-hmm. not about like giving them old stars and like um, patronizing them for well done, you emptied to the dishwasher once in a quarter. It's not about that. It's saying, you know what, well, thank you for listening. Well, thank thank you for hearing me. Putting those glasses up on the middle shelf, it means a lot to me because it means less you listen to me. Mm. Seriously. We don't take the time to validate and give the appreciation for when our request has been executed. And then we really need to do that. Mm-hmm. So
0: so Michaela, just as we're wrapping up here, what is your top relationship tip for couples? Obviously, it's hard to boil it down to just the one thing, but I would just
1: emphasize that wherever you are, wherever you go, there you are. So if you think that this relationship isn't working out because there's something wrong with your partner and you leave this partnership and you go somewhere else to meet another partner, there you are. Mm -hmm. you got to a new place, but there you are with all of your fuel, all of your experiences, all the shaping of you, all your expressed emotion, all the air you breathe into partnerships, the patterns you bring with you. So before you consider leaving this partnership, just think about what have you brought to it, you know, because wherever you go, there you are. So thinking about what you can change in yourself to change your partnership, that when you look after yourself, you look after your partnership. And obviously that said, there are partnerships that aren't meant to be the ones that are costing you more than they're worth and that's we were not trying to think of using compassion as a way to stay in a destructive relationship using compassion as a way to being able to say i'm done and i need to go so that's my top tip is to really think about yourself and what you bring to the equation and what can you take accountability for and when do you think enough is enough and i
0: need to move on from this Thank you so much, Michaela, for sitting with me today. This has been such a needed conversation. I know for couples, um, particularly during this global crisis, that we are really needing um, this this help and this guidance in terms of how we can show up differently in Mm -hmm. our relationships. And your words around and your guidance around choosing, around the power of choice and acknowledging that there are multiple levels that are happening within your relationship, I think is so important for us to be able to, to take with us, to understand, and just to, to take some of these tools of compassion and put it into place. So tell us where can we find you? Where can we find more about you? so you can find
1: me on all the, the social media platforms under the thomas connection or on my website thethomasconnection.co.uk. and i've got a couples compassion course which you can either do self-guided or you can do it with with um one-to-one sessions with me pre and post and i'm also la- launching a um a cause for high striving women who want to let go of the pressure of perfection soon using my framework called pause purpose play and that's going to be called the freedom formula so that's going to be launching in september this year and uh, hopefully soon uh, covid dependent my book the Lost in connection will hopefully be out in january next year oh
0: that's fantastic thank you so much michaela thank you thank you for having me If you enjoyed today's episode, come join me and discuss it with me on Instagram at Dr.TracyD. Remember, this podcast is for informational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. Have a great week. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in